Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Now let's listen to Pastor Dave Crocker. Me up in that way, but as as this series has been unfolding, we've been talking about the, the fruit of the Spirit, and and part of the the background to that is when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we often have been talking about these nine separate pieces of fruit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self control, and we, we look at those as separate things. But in researching for this series, I really began to realise that it's not all these separate things, but one fruit that the Holy Spirit is producing in us that has these different characteristics. And the goal of the Holy Spirit, the goal of what God's looking for in your and I and at my life, why we're here is a, it's a transformation. We should look different to people who aren't in church because we have the living God working in our lives, smoothing off the rough edges, bringing change. We should be, according to the Word of God, created in His image. Some of us look closer to God than others. I married someone very close to God. And it's part of this journey that we go on of transformation over time. It's not just enough to come to church and respond in some way and say, I believe in God, I want to be a follower of His. That's the entry point, the beginning. And from then onwards, we live this life of God bringing change and transformation in our heart. That's why a guy like Steve can get up and share what he shared about these guys in the prison, that that what we're looking for in their life is they've had that moment of encountering God again, but the real journey for them begins now. It begins when they get out of that environment and they go back into their real lives and they've got to maintain or continue this journey and this growth that they've gotten, and that's what we believe that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. The title of my message today is Who Really Annoys You? Don't jump up and down all at once and don't start nudging the person sitting beside you just yet. Is there someone in your world that really, really gets to you? It's like they were put on this earth for the sole purpose of doing nothing but annoy you and bring you suffering. The worst possible outcome is when you've married that person and then you've worked that out. Of course, I'm not talking about anyone in here, Chris and Erin, you just as well. We've done some marriage counselling. We've got that sorted out. Emily, I think you're okay too. I don't think you've married the most annoying person on the planet. I I think you've got siblings that that fill that boat quite well. But there there are a couple of people in my world just like that. Would you like me to point them out to you this morning? They're not here. The, the, the person that annoys me most on this planet would be completely unaware that he annoys me. In fact, we've never even spoken. I just see this person at certain school events. Kerry will know exactly who I'm talking about. And this, she's laughing already because she knows exactly who I'm talking about. And there's just something about this person that just drives me bananas. Now, it's not entirely my fault. It's him. But it, it, it's like... He, he get, oh, I get so annoyed, so annoyed at his behaviour. And I, I guess I'm not the only one who feels like that because I've seen other people when they're around him as well. I, I find myself reacting when I'm in, in group meetings. 
Not, not church meetings because I've got a little bit more patience around church meetings because I have to, I'm the pastor. But, but it's usually around school stuff. And, and I go to school meetings and you know when there's these opportunities to ask questions. Oh, I don't know that I've ever been in a, a question and answer time that's just been awesome. There's always that person that asks a question so specific to their situation that everyone in the room's rolling their eyes going, here we go. There's that person that asks the question that's already been answered multiple times. There's that person that asks a question that's got nothing to do with the topic we're even there to talk about. The other thing that really, since we're on the topic, thanks for bringing it up, we're just going to have a group counselling session this morning. I'm just going to get this all off my chest. The other thing that really annoys me, can you tell with my voice this morning, I've just ramped it up a little bit here today, is when I'm at a sports match. And, and there's that parent, don't be that parent, don't be Karen, don't be that parent, not that Karen, it's a mean thing, don't be that person that is so obnoxiously loud cheering for their child, who's usually the worst person in the team anyway, don't be that parent. Or when I'm coaching, and, and we're coaching under 12 soccer, and the other coach thinks it's the World Cup final. God put people on this earth to annoy me. And I lead a church full of them. It's just so incredible. <laughs> Not at all. Some of you maybe. You'll know who it is. Today, I'm jumping into a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit in case you haven't worked it out this morning because we're kind of in order. Something that I've struggled with, something that I flagged, I struggled with at the start of the year and that's patience. I prayed for patience at the beginning of the year and it didn't happen, so I've given up. It's just one of those things that for me, I've been really struggling with because it's like everybody else on earth just doesn't get it. If only you all thought like I thought, we'd get on so much better. I think praying for patience is dangerous. And the reason I think it's dangerous is as I was preparing this series, I discovered that God uses people to develop patience in us. God most definitely uses my kids. Let me unpack this thought for you this morning. See, the, the dictionary defines patience as the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, problems or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. In the Bible, uh, that word patience has some synonyms. Uh, so long-suffering, endurance. You start to, to see when those words swap in kind of some of the, the themes that are running around patience. I don't want to be long-suffering. I want to be short-suffering. I don't want to endure. I want to overcome. But, but built into this idea is that, that patience is this long-term thing that doesn't happen in a moment. It's not a quick thing, but it's this thing that takes Time And when it came time to translate the Old Testament, so the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, but around the time of Jesus, they didn't have 
uh, people that, that spoke Hebrew fluently that were outside of the, the Jewish nation. So what they did is they translated it into the common language of the day. And the two most common languages in, in the Roman Empire at the time were, were Greek and Aramaic. And so they took the Old Testament scriptures and they translated them into Greek. And in the Old Testament, there was a single word for patience. But when they translated the Old Testament into uh, to Greek, they actually used two words. There was, sorry, one word specifically for the Old Testament. And then when the New Testament was written, there were two words for patience. I'm going to teach you what those words are this morning. The first word they used was macrothumia. And when the New Testament was written, there was another word, hupomone. The two words have very distinct and different meanings. Macrothumia is about people. It's patience in relation to people, whereas hupomone is directly related to circumstances. So when we read patience in the Bible, when we read those words, endurance and long-suffering and patience and other thoughts around that, they're actually two very distinct lines of thought that are happening. One is in relation to people, one is in relation to circumstances, and their difference can be seen in their opposites. When we consider the opposite of macrothumia about people, the opposite of that is wrath or revenge. So the opposite of being patient with people is being angry with people or seeking revenge with people. The opposite of the hupomone circumstance is actually, uh, let me look that up, cowardice or despondency. So when we've got negative circumstances and we're not showing patience, cowardice is about running away from that circumstance, relocating, getting out of there. I can no longer handle the circumstance I'm checking out. Or staying but with despondency. They've lost Hope. You see, these two words, with people it's related to love and with circumstance it's related to hope. So when we're reading our Bibles and we come across those different words, patience, endurance, long-suffering, those thoughts, the question we need to ask ourselves is, is this related to circumstances or is this related to people? The word that Galatians Five uses in the fruit of the spirit for patience is that top one, macrothumia. It's about people. Galatians saying that, that God wants to develop in us patience when it comes to people. I guess I really probably shouldn't be surprised about that because if we think about what I've talked about, the fruit of the spirit being about being transformed into the image of God, if we're supposed to display love and reflect this God that we talk about, this God of love, then it would make sense that the image developed in us is one of patience towards other people. Does that make sense for you this morning? There are two distinct thoughts, circumstances, which is related to hope because it builds faith. When we're experiencing tough circumstances and we're endure, it builds faith in our lives. When we're experiencing uh, patience with other people, what does that develop in our lives? It develops love. I guess the question for me then becomes, what does it look like when it's at its full measure? What does the extreme of patience look like? What is the image that God would give it for us? How has he demonstrated us? Obviously, we're not going to achieve that level, but it would be good to know what we're shooting for. And the way that we go about look, doing that is we, we, we look at 
scriptures in the New Testament, we look at verses that are spoken that are using that particular word, macrothumia, and we, we kind of begin to get a feel for what God is showing us in the scriptures as the author of those verses has is, is chosen that word in particular. There are quite a few passages in the, in the New Testament. There's about a dozen times that that particular word shows up, and most of them have got a very similar theme. So rather than going through them all and boring you stupid, I picked one that is probably the most helpful to look at this morning, and that's 2 Peter 3 verse 9. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So the the background of that verse on its own might not make a whole lot of sense. The, the, The followers of Jesus in the New Testament have been saying, Jesus is coming again soon. Jesus himself said, I'm coming back soon. And they've been speaking this message about to all the people that will listen, Jesus is coming again soon. Now, in the decades that passed, Jesus hasn't shown up and they were expecting him tomorrow. He hasn't shown up and they're beginning to be mocked. People are saying, where's this Jesus person that you said was coming back? They're beginning to insult them and criticise them and laugh at these Christians who are saying Jesus is coming back. Fast forward 2,000 years, we're still saying Jesus is coming back soon. And I begin to think, well, why isn't he coming? There's been some really good opportunities to come back. Why not now? Why couldn't Jesus come back today? Why couldn't he just show up like the day before Emily's wedding? Or You just miss your wedding because Jesus showed, no, not allowed to do that. Okay. Well, I'm married now, so that was always my cutoff. Come after that, Jesus. And then I read this verse and, and what the author, Paul, who's written this verse is saying, Jesus, he's not forgotten. He's not slow. He's actually being patient. And the reason he's being patient, the reason he hasn't yet come back, is he wants more opportunity for people to respond to the good news that he offers, the message of salvation, the message of hope. And so rather than him being slow, rather than him being, uh, being as some people have said, Jesus was actually being patient for your sake. He wanted you to hear the good news today that his son, Jesus Christ, died for you. God wanted you to hear that message, that there is an eternal life, that there is more after this earthly vessel is gone. There's another chapter that exists, a chapter where we get to spend eternity with Him, a chapter where this mortal body is gone and we get restored and we spend an eternity in the very presence of God. That's why Jesus has not yet come back because He wants more people in His kingdom. He's not slow, He's patient. And we look at that word, hupothermia, it's about people. It's about love. Jesus is actually demonstrating his love for you that he has not yet come back because more people need to hear the good news. You've got family members that need to hear the good news. You've got friends, you've got neighbours. And I don't know when that magical hour will be that Jesus will come back when he decides that enough is enough. But the picture of patience that he paints for us is not that he's slow, but that he's waiting because he loves you enough that he wants you in his kingdom. To God who could judge the world, but is wanting to give people more time to choose him. That's the picture. 
Think about the brokenness of this world, about the sin, about the war and the turmoil and the abuse that takes place in this world. God could call it quits at any moment. But he waits. He waits for you. He waits for your family. And that's the kind of patience we're supposed to aspire to. I don't know how to emulate that. I haven't worked that out yet. How do we display God's loving patience? How does the Holy Spirit do that in us? See, patience is an interesting thing in contemporary use. We we talk about having patience and losing patience. We treat patience like it's this thing where we're supposed to suppress these feelings as much as we can and just hold them in. But then we get to this point where we just can't anymore and we lose patience and we say something or we respond or we explode or we lash out, we do something because we've suddenly lost patience. We say and do things that we'll later regret. Of course, it's always the other person's fault in the first place. If they weren't how they are, I wouldn't have reacted how I did. So it's not my fault, it's yours. But patience, we see it as this pushing down. But what if that's not what God intended at all? What if patience wasn't designed to push these feelings and these emotions and these things aside, but give us the time to process them properly so that we could make good decisions about how to respond? What if patience allows us to think through and consider how we're going to answer or how we're going to behave in a given situation? So not suppressing, but processing, dealing with these thoughts because we're not absent of them. I'm always going to get frustrated and and annoyed at, at people. It's always going to happen. I've come to terms with that. But it's how I respond to that that the issue is. And that's the difference between sinning and not sinning. See, the the, the feeling of the emotions, there's nothing wrong with that in particular. Because if you don't have those, you're emotionally stunted and we've got more issues to deal with than I can offer you on a Sunday morning. But we're going to have feelings. We're going to have emotions. We're going to have frustration. We're going to have moments of just wanting to scream. And what patience is there for is for us to be able to work through that in a healthy way and make good decisions. When I've got patience operating in my life, how God intends, when my kids are doing something that annoys me, rather than getting upset and yelling at them, I stop in that moment and think, what's actually a good parenting way to respond to that? How would God have me respond in this moment? What would be a way to lift them up rather than tear them down? Now, I'm going to be honest, I'm not great at this yet, but the fact that I'm recognising that there needs to be some change. And I'm beginning to understand this as I've been researching and and putting this message together that it's not about suppressing those feelings because you can only do that for so long. You can only push it down for so long. And I don't think that's a healthy way to deal with our feelings and our emotions, pushing them aside. Talk to the men in the room for a minute. We're real good at that. Just push it out, push it away. I'm just going to hide that away. If we're going to be emotionally mature, if we're going to have a high degree of emotional intelligence, which I hope all of us are seeking at some stage, if we're going to grow up, then it's not just about pushing those things away, but actually working through some of them. Why do I feel like this? 
Why do I respond like that? Why when someone says that particular phrase to me, does it make me see a red rag? Why do I respond in that? And as I begin to process and think through those things, I'm actually able to begin to respond in a much healthier way. Have you ever said something or done something that a minute later you wish you could take back? Just to push that rewind button for like one minute. I'd love that. You'd make a lot of money if you could have one of those buttons and just rewind time for a minute. I'd say so many things and then push the button and you'd never know I've said it. Maybe I've got one. I think of the time that Jesus had an angry outburst. He, he was Jerusalem and at the temple they were selling animals to, to bring for sacrifice and, and there was these people set up because you could only make offerings in a particular currency and obviously people had come from everywhere and not... So they were changing money and they were doing it at super inflated prices and they were selling these animals at amazingly inflated prices because people didn't have an option. And, and Jesus saw this going on. He's like, these people are making money in my father's house. Now, he didn't just go running in and start throwing punches. Jesus sat down and made a whip. And after he had constructed this whip out of rope, he went out in there and started driving these people out of the temple. He didn't have a moment of, of just exploding and going, oh gosh, I really didn't think that through. He was thoughtful and considered. And what I've learned from that is when I'm running out of patience, I just got to sit down and make a whip. It changes everything. It's good enough for Jesus. He was thoughtful and considered. And I think that's a picture of patience that God would have us have, that we would be thoughtful and considered in our Response. Is this making sense to you this morning? That was underwhelming. Awesome. We're just going to go back to the beginning and I'll go again. Patience is not the absence of frustration, but it's enduring that frustration. Remember the definition of patience, the capacity to accept or tolerate the delay, problem or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. If you don't have strong reactions to things, you've got problems. But listen, I'm not talking about enduring and long-suffering in unhealthy abusive relationships. I'm not suggesting for a minute, I'm being really clear about this this morning, that you should stay in those relationships where it's incredibly unhealthy for you. When I think of long-suffering, I often think of my mum and how many years she stayed with my stepdad when she really should have left, but she, she endured so much in the hope that he'd turn his life around, and he never did, and in the end she had to leave that situation. And in this series, we're also examining the supernatural aspect of how does the Holy Spirit use or supercharge our patience? Here's another thought. God can use our lives as an opportunity to display his great patience. 1 Timothy 1, starting verse 15, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the worst of them all. This is Paul talking. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners then others will realise that they too can believe in him and have eternal life. I love that God chose Paul. For those that don't have uh, biblical knowledge, Paul was a Jewish 
rabbi. He was highly trained. He was one of the most intelligent men in the whole nation of Israel. And Paul's job prior to meeting Jesus was killing Christians. He was there when Christians were being stoned. In fact, when Stephen, I talked about it just the other week, was being stoned to death for his beliefs, Paul was there holding the cloaks of those that were throwing the stones. He oversaw the slaughter of Christians. When he showed up in town, people were terrified. He's that guy. He's the worst of the worst as far as Christians could go. And then he meets Jesus. Supernaturally, Jesus died on the cross. Then he, Paul encounters him on the road. He gets blinded and this voice begins to speak to him. And he realises that this Jesus guy that he's been out killing Christians because of is actually real. And his whole world changes. And he goes into a period of training and learning and, and he needed some separation from people because imagine, imagine how this goes. One minute he's killing Christians and a week later I'm like, my name's changed now. I'm Paul, I've got a new identity so you don't know it's me. And I'm coming to town to teach you about Jesus. So all you Christians come. Can you imagine how many would show up? None, because they're going to think that the dude's there to kill them and this is just a nice little trick. So about seven years later, he begins his journey, starting churches, teaching people about Jesus. What I love and why I love this whole idea of patience and how God can demonstrate it through our lives is if Paul can get in, anybody can get in. What an incredible picture of grace. The guy that's whole mission of life is to end this thing with Jesus begins to start this thing with Jesus all over the world. If God can take my broken, messed up life and use me, he can take yours. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you've made. If we were to put up on the screen this morning all the baggage and all the background and all the stuff that you'd done in your life, how many of you would be real happy about that? Probably Carrie. She's about the only one in the room. None of us. I probably wouldn't have a job next week. Bar the grace of God. Bar Jesus saying, you know what? My grace is sufficient for you. My love endures all. I died on the cross for you. If Paul gets in, if you get in, if I get in, we can all get in. That's the good news. None of us is so far from God that it's the end of the story. It's just the beginning. Oh, that we would open our hearts to Jesus this today and say, God, I'm in. Ephesians chapter four says this, and I'm coming to an end this morning. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to live, uh, sorry, to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other because each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's a lot of words in there. Let me break it down a little bit for you. Live a life worthy of the calling. God has called us heavenward. 
God has called us to make a difference in the world around us. God has called Steve and others here potentially to go into that prison and share about the love of Christ. God has chosen you to make a difference in your family. When there's someone in need in your family, to be the one to step up and go, you know what, can I pray for you? I don't know if you believe this thing that that I, I, I do, but I believe and I want to pray for you. God is using us to make a difference in the world around us. He chooses us. Be worthy, live a life worthy of that calling, worthy of this holy life that He that He's called us to live, and that means a life that honors Him, reflects Him. Then it goes on: make allowances for each other's faults. You've got them; we can all see it, and we usually love pointing out each other's faults, but we've all got them. And what patience does in context of love and relationship and what this verse is talking about, it makes allowances for the fact that none of us are perfect. I love that this is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. It doesn't say we just ignore each other's faults. It says make allowances for each other's faults. In other words, help out. Cover the shortfall. Get involved. Make a difference. Don't stand on the outside and say, well, you should be doing that and you should do this and you should be able to do that. Don't be that person. Make allowances. I'll let you in on a little secret this morning. I'm not a perfect pastor. I know, right? Sorry for some of you in the room that believe that. Thank you, Kerry. I don't normally have you in the room to pick on you. Now you're not at kids' church all the time. You're in a world of trouble, young lady. I've got faults. Lots of them. Ask Carrie. But I've also got lots of things I'm really good at. You have a choice. I'm just making this about me, but this could be about anyone. We can either grumble about all the things that I'm not good at, or we can get involved and help me. Every time I pick up a task I'm not good at, it's one less thing that I get to do that I am good at. The staff team that we have at the moment is an incredible luxury based on the, the season that we're in, but we're not always going to be able to maintain staff levels that we're at unless we grow and God does some financial miracles for us. But we need more people carrying the load. We need more people helping out, not just here on a Sunday, but in other areas of church life as well. We've got some big roles that need filled. We've got some little roles that need filled. Don't lose patience, but make allowances and love for the things that others are not good at and get stuck in. I hate picking up tasks that I'm no good at because I know it's not the best thing for this church. I'd love to be able to focus more time and energy on the things that I'm really good at that will make a real difference. But in order to do that, we need help. We need to make allowances for each other's faults. Don't we do that in a healthy marriage? Well, you should. And here's some free relationship advice for you today. Cover one another. Assume different roles in the house to make allowances. If one of you is good with money and the other isn't, don't get grumpy they can't make the budget work. You do it. If one of you is having a tough season... The other one, step up for a little bit. Pick up some of the slack. We cover each other in love. And it says, and I'll finish with this thought, keep yourselves united and bound with peace. 
Unity is not passive. It takes work. It takes love. It takes peace. It takes a willingness to forgive and forget. It takes a humble heart. By the way, I've said it a lot. Unity is not agreeing on everything, but unity is working together regardless. Unity is a decision not to break relationship. The word bound or binding with peace implies a conscious decision to tie ourselves together. There's no leaving, there's no plan B. And I think that's some more great relationship advice. It's another picture of marriage. We don't go into marriage with a plan B, with an an escape clause built in. We're binding each other together. That's exactly the picture of marriage. When I realised that there was so much marriage stuff and and all of this, and there's other things I haven't picked out, I actually realised, and I shouldn't have been surprised at all, because marriage is the ultimate expression of love in a relationship. If patience is people-centred, then it's not surprising at all that it's all about relationship. I've been on teams that have ended up quite dysfunctional when people broke unity, make a decision to work against the group or members of the group, and it always ends in tears, always ends with someone leaving. It happens when our own agendas become more important than the groups, when our own ambitions grow, when our pride gets carried away. It happens when our own brokenness and dysfunctional behaviour gets projected onto others. Worship team, come and join me. As a church, we have to work hard to maintain unity especially in this season that we're in right now. If we know that this whole process of selling and relocating and moving can potentially be quite divisive in the life of this church. God will use people to annoy you. He will use people to challenge you. He will use people to frustrate you, to make life tough for you. His desire is to develop patience in your life and people are the fastest way to achieve that. This is not a personality thing where some people are just better at loving others. This is a character thing. It's supposed to display to the world that we're different, that we're people of love. Next time you find yourself frustrated, ready to explode, don't push those emotions down. Work through them. Make an informed, conscious decision about what is the best course of action for me to take in this situation. And when we do that, I think we reflect the heart of God. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org www.cofcpenrith.org